0: Today's reading is from Romans chapter 8, verses 18 to 25. I'm doing it on my phone, so you're welcome to use yours. Romans 8, 18 to 25. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting Eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of our future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. us. We were given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently.
1: Thanks, Kate. So the other night, Joanne and I could not sleep. We were up late talking deeply and shook. Based off some current events, a lot of you guys probably are familiar with uh, some, something pretty tragic that happened in, in D.C. about a week ago. Uh, Muhammad Anwar, he's a 60-year-old immigrant from Pakistan, was driving Uber Eats. And while he was on his shift, two teenage girls, 13 and 15, tried to carjack him. They tased him and while he was trying to stay in the car and hanging out from the side one sped off at a very fast pace which and crashed into another car throwing Anwar crushing him and throwing him into the sidewalk and almost killing him immediately the car flipped to the side and miraculously there were a bunch of national guard who were just there And so they ran to to rescue the girls, get them out. They were totally unharmed. And there were bystanders who were filming, yelling, making sure the National Guard knew that those girls were trying to hijack them. And one moment that especially grieved me, on top of all the horrors that I was watching in this viral video, was that one of the teenagers, as she got out, yelled, My phone was in there! My phone was in there! And if you just look at the video, literally three feet to the right of her, Anwar's body is crumpled up in the heat, bleeding and dying. And she's asking for her phone. And that shook me. An hour later, Anwar died in the hospital. And it deeply grieves me on so many levels on this story. And and also my dad, an immigrant, also drives for DoorDash. And he's in his 60s as well. So that hits home. So that night we were discussing that and the fact that the MPD put a flyer in our mailbox notifying us that we have a registered sex offender who just got out of prison living on our block and went into great details of what this man did that put him into prison. On top of that, all the other different challenges within our personal life and in our world and the fact that we had a bat, that has been hounding us in our house, if any of you guys saw that video, we, we can't get this bad out of our living room, it keeps coming out at night and freaking us out, and doing it, it turned to me, dead serious, and just said, I don't like this world very much, I think a lot of us know that feeling this last year, especially just, I don't really like this world, and that's not dramatic at all, right? All we have to do is go to Colorado, the 10 who were just killed massacred in Boulder, Colorado, the eight who were killed in the massage parlors in Atlanta and all the different things going on with Asian hate. We have all this, all these different cries for racial justice. We have the killings in Myanmar as the people are trying to hold on to a sense of, of freedom with the dictators coming rising up. Um, I mean, on and on and on, we can go. Like We can take this, the entirety of this service, just talking about every tragedy in the news, and that's just the news. That's not even filling up the tombs of all the brokenness in our own lives, right? All of us here, if we just got up on stage, we could just go and talk about all the different pains in our life. And so my question for you this Easter evening is what hope do I offer to my wife when she feels like she does not like this world? And what hope do I offer me? Because I feel that regularly. If I let myself right now and think about the people in our church who have fallen away from Christ in the last couple of years, the different disunities, the different tragedies on my street, all the kind of stuff. George Floyd dying five blocks from our house, all the kind of stuff. I could literally just ball up into a, a, a ball up and, and just cry and weep and be in despair if I let my heart just go. And I think a lot of us can do that. So what hope do I have for my own heart and for your heart this year on this Easter Sunday? Now before I get to the great hope, let me share with you two common hopes and solutions the world tends to choose. Two false hopes that... The reality is a lot of us actually look to as well. I'm going to use two terms that are going to sound a little funky. They're going to be on the screen in a second. um, But let me explain them to you. One would be the progressive utopia solution. Progressive utopia. Progressive being increasing and utopia being uh, a a kind of heaven on earth. Everything is utopic. Perfect. Uh, And then the second one would be called souls in transit souls in transit. I'm gonna explain that to you a second. I got help from one scholar named Tom Wright. He's really, really helpful in this. Some areas not so helpful, but I just wanna affirm that these two categories, he helped me kinda get my heart around, my mind around. So let me go into these two solutions. And as I talk about them, maybe check boxes in your head and say, hey, is that me? Am I falling into that as my great hope for solution in this world? My great hope of my heart. So progressive utopia. So this first solution is one that many politicians and entertainers fall into. And that is, if we just got the right education or the right policy or the right justice system, then the world will be as it ought to be. People are generally good. They're basically blank slates. And the problem with every single person is not nature, but it's nurture. It's not anything else inside of them. It's actually everything outside of them. So if we could just set up our society with the right situation for every single person, then they will come out well. And ultimately, our whole society will flourish. You probably see that on the news, and perhaps you buy that as the primary way. So the hope offered by this solution is more progress equals Better world. More education, more technological advancements, more enlightenment, and so forth, and so forth. And many Christians have bought into this at some level. And you can see huge movements sweeping through churches, believing that if we can just have the right justice system, or the right political system, or the right candidate, or the right policy, then heaven will be on earth. We see these kind of sentiments. But if you have studied world history at all, you know that this solution has not helped. This solution has failed. After multiple world wars, after genocide, after genocide, human trafficking and all the different ills of our world, especially in first world countries, we know that more education does not necessarily equal less evil or less pain or more technology. I mean, look at, I have an iPad Pro right here. And yet, if I wanted to, I could look at porn right here. More technology has not equaled more utopia on this earth, right? And as we were doing sermon prep this week, Scott Hubbard mentioned this. He said, The best educated people have still committed atrocities. Societies with the most progressive policies and advanced science still have imploded on themselves. Technology has just made many of us better at hurting each other. I'm not against technology. Look. This, you know, I have a car. But the hope of putting our hope in advancements has failed over and over again. And part of the problem is that they misdiagnose the problem. And so therefore, you're gonna mis- misdiagnose the solution. So 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 if you have cancer and I'm like, I really think you have a migraine, or I really think you have a tumor in your head when really it's in your knee, or I don't know, I'm just, just saying dump stuff off the cuff, right? right? But if I try to help your head when you got an issue with your knee, right, we're gonna mess it up. And that's the problem with this solution and the next solution is we misdiagnose the problem and so therefore we have no true lasting transformative solution. Now there is some truth to this worldview and that's deeply biblical, but it's incomplete. Just like the next one, souls in transit. Souls in transit, I know that sounds a little funny, but it's more like a philosophy than, than kind of a solution. And the, the mindset is basically this. This world is corrupt. So we gotta get out of this world, right? And, and if, if you go back into the first century, there is a philosophy called Gnosticism that wrought the early church. And I'm gonna oversimplify, but basically, the whole mindset is that our bodies, flesh, is evil. Flesh Out of flesh comes murder and lust and adultery and all these kinds of evils. And so we need to escape this flesh. We need to get out of this earth and go to this utopia. This matter, this physical world is the problem. It's corrupted at the core and from the beginning, and so we need to get out of here. And so those who adopt this kind of thinking are going to often downplay any benefits of societal reformation or try to help policies or help the nature. You know, hey, I'm gonna drive the most gas-guzzling car because I'm gonna get out of here and this whole place is gonna burn anyway, right? And, and many Christians, I would say probably more Christians fall into this category historically than the last category. And that's the, the mindset is basically the whole Christian goal and purpose in life is just basically die and go to heaven. And so if you have that mindset that your whole life is going to be focused on trying to get people out of hell and just going to heaven. And all the little things about the way you spend time with your family or the way you speak to people, the way you spend your money, the way you eat your food and work your job, all that stuff is kinda not that important because we just gotta get people to heaven. This whole world's gonna burn. Now, obviously that's an exaggeration of that kind of viewpoint, but if you've been if, if you've been around the church at any time, you've probably seen that as a mindset. This world is corrupt, we just gotta get out of here and get as many people out of it. And some people call this lifeboat theology. We gotta just get everybody in the lifeboat because people are on this like river of death going towards a whirlpool of death Uh, Like an iceberg of hell We gotta just get them in the lifeboat Doesn't matter how their life is We just gotta get them Doesn't matter how their family is Just get them in the lifeboat And if they can say the right prayer And if they can do the right religious things Then they get in the lifeboat Again, no oversimplification So the hope for this solution Is escape this corrupt world So one wants progress to, To progress the world into heaven And the other wants to escape the world to heaven Those are the two polar kind of opposites that I'm trying to frame this message. And the Bible is going to say yes to both, but in different ways. It's a lot more beautiful, a lot more robust. So let's get into that. Let's get into what the Bible is going to diagnose as the true problem and the great solution. Most Christians, though, they understand that God is going to deal with sin, but probably can't give you a very intelligent answer of what he's going to do with coronavirus. Or the falling apart of families and divorce. Or anything tangible. We just know that he's going to deal with sin. And then they may say God's going to make all things right. But there's not a lack of solid tangibleness of how he's going to do that. And that is one of my great hopes for this message is to give you something very solid and tangible for your heart to hope in when you're in the darkest state, when you're in that moment where you're like, I don't like this world, this, life, this world is horrible, it's evil, and I don't want to be in it. Something tangible for your heart to put hope in and faith in. I'm going to up, go over a lot of cover, uh, ground. What am I trying to say? I'm going to cover a lot of ground today. We're going to fly through a number of passages. We're going to just hit some points. So so if you're like, hey, I want a whole sermon on each one. I'm sorry, but we're going to fly through. So just get your expectations there. And then the other thing I want to just set your expectations. We're not going to spend a lot of time talking about the resurrection events. Though that would be a great Easter sermon. But we're going to talk about what did the resurrection accomplish for us and for this world. So more of the implications, the outworkings of, of, of now that the resurrections has happened. So what? Why is that good news for us? Because if you're like me and you grew up in church, people say like Pastor Ross is like, the resurrection, Easter is the most important day of the year for the church calendar. And you're like, amen. Why? I don't care. It's just Sunday. Resurrection's fine. Great. And and, and if you've grown up and and maybe you've been influenced like I have, the resurrection has just been kind of like something you say, but it doesn't mean that much to you. And I get to preach Easter sermons every couple of years, and, and every time I'm like, gosh, the, the resurrection is always so better than I ever realized. So I hope you can feel that. And that's actually kind of why I've been not nervous, but I don't know the right word. I don't get nervous before I preach, but I usually, um, I usually feel fine before I preach, just excited. But today I have just felt just for this last week or so, just so uneasy about the sermon because I want to do justice to this truth because it's so good. So God, help me. God, help me. Okay. Let's get to the resurrection. But to get there, we're going to go through the story of God. Just this whole big picture of where it all went wrong and God's beautiful solution. All right? Buckle up. Let's run into it, okay? So creation. It's kind of hard to imagine a day when nothing was wrong. Like Nothing. But there was a time when God, the uncreated one, created this world. And when he created, he said it was what? Good. It was good. It was good. And he created man to live with him on this earth to enjoy a love relationship while also building and expanding and delighting in and guarding this good creation. That was before the fall, in the beginning. Look at Genesis 1.31. After he creates a bunch of stuff, animals and trees and all this stuff, he says, and God saw everything that he, got, he had made, and behold, it was very good. So creation, again, this is anti agnosticism and all the kind of stuff I said earlier, is inherently good. This is all good. God made this to be good, and for us to enjoy him uh, through this stuff. But... It wasn't good for long, as you know. So in Genesis chapter 3, we see the fall of not just humanity, but all creation. This is where the world crumbles within itself. And every single thing that's good is now corrupted. Our first parents, Adam and Eve, believed the lie that God was stingy and not generous. They believed the lie that he actually did not love them and want best for them. They believed the lie that if they could just be like him, then they would finally be satisfied. And so they decide to go their own way and would be like God. But instead of experiencing all the freedom and joy that they believed the serpent was promising, they experienced shame, pain, rejection. And all of a sudden, the light that they enjoyed, this intimacy, this delight, was immediately went dark this whole world went dark. And they spiritually died that day, and physical death entered that world that day. And what theologians call is a spiral downward. In other words, it gets worse and worse as it progresses. And so contra the idea that if we have enough time and enough advancement, things will get better, actually scripture teaches more and more time Human hearts are going to continue to cave in on themselves. Romans 1 says they're going to invent new ways of doing evil. And so the first brothers, one of them murders the other. The first song that we have in scripture by Lamech is boasting of killing others. Creation, once good, very good, is now corrupted. Songs are now corrupted. Relationships are corrupted And so we go into a cursed world. God curses the world and rejects man and casts him out of his delighting presence. And that is why there is no such thing as a perfect day in this earth. Even on your best birthday, I bet you could think of something that went wrong. Whether your head aches or something didn't work right, there are no perfect days on this earth because everything has been touched by this fall and corrupted at some level. So we go from a good world to a cursed world, joyous intimacy and unbounding access to God to now separated from Him. Life everlasting to now death. And so the result is more death, natural disasters, depression, cancer, addictions, divorce, pandemics, war, slavery, on and on and on. And the thing is, man messed things up and so man tries to fix things up. But man can't get it together. It's century after century, millennia after millennia, man is trying to fix the mess that they put the world into, but it can't. But they can't, and we can't. So if you ever felt a pain inside of you, a restlessness of this world is not as it ought to be. It's because the very core of our earth was removed. The, the rightful king has is not here anymore physically. This world is without its rightful king. The one who we were made for is missing. And so there's something inside of every human heart that longed and said, This is not right. And even on your best day, you know deep inside, this is not right. There's something more. And that's God's gift to you, knowing that this world is not right without him. And even God's chosen people, Israel, who he set apart to be a light to the nations, to bring healing and hope, and to be a picture of what kingdom should be, God's kingdom on earth, they can't get it right. Even though they have the law, they have all these encounters with him, their hearts were too broken and too wicked to be able to bring the light that was needed. More time, more progress, more advancements did not equal heaven on earth. And it will not equal heaven on earth. But God had a plan. He had a beautiful plan. A plan to deal with not only the punishment of sin or the penalty of sin, but also the power and the presence of sin once and for all. And so after millennia of temporary sacrifices, failures of God's people, and constantly running from him, in walks Jesus. Jesus. He walks the Son of God, fully man, yet fully God, representing heaven, but also representing man. One who could bridge heaven and earth again. There's been separation, and now he's the one to bring them together, both representing both parties. And Jesus, he fully experienced the full reality of humanity. He cried like that baby hunger. He thirsts. He knows the human condition. He had terrible days. He had friendships. He had betrayals. He had temptations. He had sickness. He had pain. He had loneliness. He had joy. He learned. He grew. And yet all without sin. All without sin. And throughout the ministry of Jesus, Jesus healed the sick, showing that he has authority over bodies and viruses. And he stopped storms. Demonstrating he has authority over the nature. He raised the dead. Showing his dominion and power over life and death. He restored outcasts and the vulnerable. Demonstrating his compassion. He cast out demons. Demonstrating and showing the authority he has over the spiritual well. In his life he brought... Healing, he brought shalom to every sphere of this world, personal, societal, and all of creation. Jesus was giving the whole world a little taste of heaven on earth. This is what it looks like when I'm on the earth. This is what it looks like when the rightful king is reigning and ruling. This is what it's always supposed to be. Do you understand that miracles should be the normal thing? See, the sickness is the deviation of the created order. See, being sick and having brokenness in this world and evil, that is actually not normal. What normal is the peace and the harmony that God brings. But we have been living in the not normal for millennia because we rejected our rightful king. And so when Jesus comes onto the earth and walks in the scene, everything he's doing, he's like, this is what normal is supposed to be. No one's ever supposed to be sick. No one's ever supposed to be sad. No one's ever supposed to fight. This is is what it's supposed to be. This is my dream for you. But yet during this entire time, all these millennia, millennia, mankind has been rejecting God over and over again and you and I know what that's like. We've all rejected God in different ways in our life. We've all said no to him when he called us. We all said our way when he said my way. We've all done it. And what has that resulted? God storing up wrath Good, just wrath against those who reject him. Those who commit treason on him. And I know talking about wrath is super, super controversial this day. Because we just want to talk about a therapeutic God who's there just to coddle us. But here's the reality. If God is not a good, just God who who judges the wicked, then he's not a good God. Imagine, imagine consider the Derek Chauvin case that's going on right now. And imagine... The judge looks at Derek Chauvin and says, Derek, are you sorry for what you did? And Derek Chauvin looks at the judge and says, I'm very sorry. And the judge says, well, you heard it. Are you really sorry? Really sorry. Well, then, by the powers granted to me by the state and the law, you are now forgiven and set free. Our city would be burned down in a day. Right? Right? Everything inside of us would just flip. I would flip. I would say that is a, a miscarriage of justice. I was rewatching some of the body cams, some of the ones that I did not see just the other day. My heart was just churning in the sickness and of of how people were pleading. when you dare get your stop. Just he's not moving. Just get your knee off of him. He's not doing anything. Just leave him alone. I mean, everything inside of me saying, like, that's wrong. That's wrong. That's wrong. This world is not right. And imagine the judge said, "Okay, it's okay as long as you're sorry and sincere." So inherently in all of us We have a sense of justice Knowing that wrong needs to be made right And you can't just cover it over By just saying it's all good But there lies the the problem right Because if if God were to rightly judge the wicked Then what would be the result The result would be there be no humanity Because none are righteous None are good All have messed up All have have committed treason on this right good king So there lies a, a great predicament What do we do? Well, we we can't do it. Like many other religions, the gods stand at the top of the mountain and say, well, you guys all screwed up? You guys gotta reach enlightenment and work your way. Do enough good deeds and get your way on, get yourself onto our level. But the good news is that our God came down to our level. He took on flesh. He lived our life. He represented heaven and yet represented earth. And what happened on the cross, as we all know, on that, this represents the cross is that Jesus died like he did everything we've ever done. And every single one of us here have things in our background that we would shiver and run out of this room if everyone knew. And yet Jesus was treated on that cross as if he did those things. And the wrath of God was poured upon Jesus, and Jesus drank every ounce of that cup until it was drunk dry. And so full justice was executed upon the innocent one. The one who never did anything wrong was treated like all he did was wrong. And so the father gave his greatest possession, his most treasured, beloved son, to be the bridge between heaven and earth, to breathe this, be the sacrificing bridge that we needed to make a way for all people to have peace with God. We use this word atonement. You know, one way you can understand the word atonement is at one. At one mint. You're bringing two to become one. Jesus is the sacrifice of atonement for our sins, for those who are trusting in him. And when he said, it is finished, we, knew, we know that he drunk every last sip of that cup of wrath. All of that wrath that was storing up forever against us, our past, Present, future sin, Jesus, drink it all. This is unimaginable, isn't it? I mean, we can imagine it, but we can't even begin to get to the depths of what kind of God are we dealing with here? What kind of God gives his only son? What kind of God is that patient and that loving and that generous and that gracious and that loving and that merciful? What kind of God are we dealing with? This is the God that we love, this is the God of the Bible. Paul the Apostle says so well in 2 Corinthians 5.21. Paul, an ex-serial murderer of Christians who knew grace well, says this. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. This is the good news. And not just peace with God. You get adopted as a child, one of his children and then you get his Holy Spirit and you get to reign on the earth forever I mean this is the greatest news this is the most lopsided deal of all time and this offer is true for anyone in here who does not have peace with God, so here's a question how do you know you have peace with God maybe you've heard that term before here's a slide, a couple questions to ask because easily I could just say is Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior? And if I go down the street, 99% of the people I talk to are going to be like, Oh yeah, Jesus is my Christ and Savior. That's probably a little high, not 99%. But a large majority of those on the street. i will say Jesus is my Lord and Savior if I ask them. But what if I ask you this, these questions? Are you trusting in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection for the forgiveness of all your sins? Number two, is Jesus your absolute king in every area of your life? And number three, does your life demonstrate that the previous two questions are true of you? I'm basically asking, is Jesus your Lord and Savior? But that really, what does it mean to be like him? Because scripture says multiple times that we will be resurrected and be like him. Amazing. We get to be like Jesus. Well, what was Jesus like when he was resurrected? We can't get into those passages, but we see him eating. We see him eating and talking. And he he literally is flesh. He's like Thomas. Just put your hands in my, my 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 side and my hands. I'm real. I'm physical. And that's kind of an obvious but big point. Jesus doesn't come back as some floaty ghost. He comes back as a physical created being that's more than a human in one sense, right? He's like like appearing in places and he's like getting through doors and all that kind of stuff. But yet he's eating and he's doing life. And so he's giving us a little picture of what humanity ought to be one day and will be one day. Is this resurrected, created, glorified body. It's the beginning of the new heavens and new earth manifesting in one body, one person, Jesus, the resurrected Jesus. But note that when Jesus, when we put our trust in Jesus, he doesn't just beam us up into heaven. See, because remember, when God created the world, it was good, right? And he was dwelling on the earth in the garden. So the ultimate destination was not heaven, but actually earth. This was the the hope. is here. Not necessarily this potent right here, but this earth. But a renewed earth with Jesus at the center. And so the ultimate end of creation is actually not for all of us to get away from this wicked world one day and get over to heaven in some cloud and, and look like babies and just hang out and sing all the time. But actually for us to all be here in resurrected body in a resurrected world with Jesus at the center. And I just want to say a lot of you, and maybe this is a hard to say, but I think a lot of you probably have a really small view of heaven. It's really unoppressive and it's, it's just not really biblical. You're not going to just sit up in a cloud. We're actually going to create and we're going to be here with Jesus on this earth. We're going to eat. We're going to laugh. We're going to play. We're going to do life. We're probably going to even work and create. It's so much better than you can imagine. And so the beginning of creation, God created heaven and earth. But man rebelled. And so heaven was separated from earth. But then eventually heaven's going to come back on the earth renewed. So on the cross, Jesus removes the penalty of sin. And by giving us his spirit, he gives us power over sin. And by giving us resurrected bodies in a created world and judging sin, he removes the presence of sin. And so, what does this all have to do with evil, brokenness, racism, injustice, famines, wars, all that? What is this, all, this resurrection stuff that it's saying? Sit Say with me a little longer. Let's look at Romans 8: 8. Romans 8:19. 8, Lord, help me finish quickly. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against this will, all creation was subjected to God's curse, but with eager hope. The creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. So at the fall, creation was cursed. We already talked about hence hurricanes, viruses, and the like. But creation is looking and longing and, and groaning for freedom. Freedom from what? What does it say? Death and decay. Do you feel that? Man, I feel that in the world. Death and decay all the time. Death and decay in my heart. Death and decay in relationships. Death and decay in our society. Oh God, I want that to stop. And so creation is aching and groaning. But how will creation experience this kind of freedom? Well, verse 19 says this. Creation is waiting for the revealing of the sons of God. Or in this translation it says, for reveal who his children really are. What, what in the world does that mean? If you look at other texts and look at this text, what, what was made clear is this, is that God, people, ruined this world and cause this world to spiral down into all the mess that we're experiencing right now. And so the future hope and restoration of this world is actually tied to the restoration of man. So, so, let me walk through this real quick. Jesus is resurrected, which is, he's the first of many resurrections. What will follow Jesus when he returns is all of God's people being resurrected, renewed, and glorified. And tied to our resurrection, the revealing of the children of God, is actually the restoration of the whole world. And so, creation right now is... Yearning for us to be resurrected because their resurrection, the creation's resurrection, is tied with our resurrection. You guys, you guys tracking? Yeah. So they need us. They're like, you guys got to get your stuff straight <laughs> because because we're suffering here, right? Like I'm sick of this world being the way it is. The creation is suffering. I, I, I'm personifying creation as if it's alive, but but you guys know what I'm saying, right? Like if it, like it's a person, it is alive. Sorry, I'm, I'm confusing you all. <laughs> So this is why creation is longing for the return of Christ and crying out. Because when Jesus returns, it will signal the dominoes of our resurrection and the earth's resurrection and the restoration of all things. Note this phrase in verse 23. We're going to read it all, but check this out. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as adopted children. Including the new bodies he has promised us. And if you look in the beginning of this verse. We see that all creation including us. We're longing for bodies to be released from sin and suffering. And so this passage. I wish every Christian memorized this passage. Because so many Christians don't get this. So they hear a pastor or preacher say. Hey your life sucks. Come to Jesus it won't suck. And then you start following Jesus, and you experience persecution and temptation and trial, and you get sick, and you think, man, my life sucks even more. That preacher was lying. God, is a real? No, no, no. It's in the scripture. We're going to still sin and suffer until he comes. And that's why we're yearning for the day where we get a new body, because then we're not going to sin and suffer. That's right. Amen? Amen? And so... Take this to heart when you fall into those thinking that I do it all the time where I'm struggling. I'm like, God, why are you doing this? Why am I struggling? Why am I sinning? He's like, no, no, Sam, you're going to sin and suffer until the new body. And notice this term, adopted children. We're going to get our full rights. What's the full inheritance? Next passage. I'm flying. I'm flying. Keep up with me. Okay. God blesses those who are humble for they will inherit the whole earth. What's our ultimate inheritance? It's the entire new renewed earth with Jesus at the center. That's our great inheritance. The inheritance is not yet. It is one day will be. But we already have it in in writing. We just haven't got it yet. But it's already guaranteed. Alright. So, God creates the world. Let me summarize. Man screws up the world. Death spiral. Sin, suffering. All the other stuff that we're experiencing right now. Jesus dies for the penalty of our sin. And then Jesus is raised again. Giving us a glimpse of the new heavens, new earth. And he's going to be the first of many resurrections. When Jesus returns, all creation will rejoice because creation will be renewed as we will be renewed. God will judge the wicked, remove them from the earth. God's people will love and reign with Jesus forever on this renewed earth in our renewed bodies. And no one will wrong another person again. No viruses, no cancer, no death, no confusion, no fatigue, no depression, no injustice, no migraines, no sleepless nights, no betrayal. And as one children's book beautifully says, there will be nothing bad and no one sad. And that is why Paul can say in verse 18 that I skipped earlier, yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. See, if you keep this in mind, it doesn't mean that your suffering right now isn't real suffering. It is suffering. He doesn't say you don't suffer. But it's just, it's just light. Another translation says it's light and momentary. He doesn't say it's not suffering. It's just light compared to all that we're getting. So church, hope in this reality. This is going to come sooner than we realize. And So this sermon is all about what we can hope in. So what, what do I point my wife toward to in that moment where she, in a moment of weakness, just says, I don't really like this world much. And I look at her and I'm like, yeah, me too. I don't like this world very much. Is there something tangible I can point her to rather than just say something vague and spiritual? Hey, God's going to make it all right. Just have faith. It's going to be all good. Just like I look to the cross when I need something tangible for my sin, look to the resurrection church to know that there is proof that God is going to make everything right. See, the resurrection of Jesus, now for me, more than ever, is my go-to in my mind and my heart when I want to know things are going to be right I'm going to look to the resurrection as something called solid and changeable, something, event that actually happened, proof, physical proof that everything is going to be okay. So church, this week, when something just really sucks and the world is really bad and it just really makes you sad and you feel the weight of it, look to the resurrection in your heart and say, man, everything's going to be made all right. When you doubt God's love, look at the cross of Christ. And when you doubt all the mess of this world will one day get solved, look at the resurrection. There are a lot more implications about this, but let me just say this. If our cities burn again, remember the resurrection. And know that there will be a new Jerusalem, a new garden city, where there will be only peace and no suffering. If the doctor calls you and informs you of the worst case scenario this week, no, look to the resurrection and know that you will get a new body one day. If the temptations and addictions won't stop, remember the resurrection. And know that one day every temptation will stop and you will have a right relationship with creation that will no longer be corrupted. And if horrible evil befalls you this week, church, someone does something just so evil and wrong, so painful and so hurtful to you, remember the resurrection, know that God will right every wrong and the wicked will not go unpunished. We have no idea what 2021 is gonna be. It may be better, it may be worse, it may be the same when it comes to the level of suckiness compared to 2020. But what we, we do have this great hope. So let me leave you with this final passage of Romans 8. We were given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. Okay. So church, we have to be patient. And there's going to be days where we're tested. We're like, is it really coming? Is it really worth it? It is worth it. Be patient and confident. Look forward to that day when he comes and makes all things right. Let's pray. Jesus, there's much more here. And I had to skip some things. And I know I'm over time. But Lord, I know that. But I just pray, actually. That this truth would just come deeply into our hearts. And that this week, whenever things come at us, and they will, discouragements come, disappointments come, pain comes, that our hearts would beeline to the resurrection, knowing that the resurrection is that tangible sign that you're going to make all things right. Help our hearts hope in the resurrection. Feel the weight of the new creation coming. Teach us how to live patiently and confidently until that day when you make all things right. If there's anything I said, Lord, that was not right, would you correct me and let no?